0: Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written Word of God, without error, and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the Word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. I want to talk to you about the purpose of the text, the different approaches to interpretation, why it was written and who it was specifically written to. And I I want to do that. I want to take the time to do that so that you guys, moving forward, can have an understanding of how I'm approaching the text. I am, by my very nature, I suppose, a literalist. I'm pretty pragmatic. This is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible means. I'm going to just assume, moving forward, that the Bible says what the Bible means. And I'm not going to over mystify it because I don't think it was intended to be over mystified. It was written to a common people for a common purpose. Amen? And so before we get started, I want you to know that that I know that many people are in a room because you want to answer, you want the answers to the questions that all of us want answers to. And that is stuff like what about the great white throne of judgment? And what's the difference between it and the Bema seat? And is there a rapture? And if there is a rapture, when does it happen? Pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? What what is the eternal state of the believer? What is the eternal state of the unbeliever? How can we know these things? There's a thousand questions that most people would consider hot-button questions in regards to Revelation. And I will tell you, I will get to all of those when the text gets to all of those. I'm not going to skip ahead to massage your particular thing, whatever that is, in regard to Revelation. I'm going to teach the text all the way through. And I don't don't want to be ugly about that. I just want to make sure that everybody understands where I'm coming from and how we're going to approach the text. Because the fact of the matter is, all these questions are important, but they're not as important as the fact that, These questions are wrong. Yeah, that's the right way to put it. These questions are the wrong questions. The great white throne of judgment will happen. Are you a believer? The bema seat will happen. Are you a believer? The rapture will happen. Are you a believer? All of the questions should be superseded or ended with, Are you a believer? And so they should start with, how does this affect my eternity, the great white throne of judgment? How does this affect my eternity, the fact that there will be a rapture, that there is an ending both for the believer and the unbeliever? All of these questions have to be asked through the lens of how Jesus Christ has redeemed us to make these questions answerable for the believer. So what I'm saying is the book of Revelation can't be, if you hope to interpret it correctly, self-centric because although you're included your story is included in the revelation it's not the revelation of justin eskew it's not the revelation of ken young it's not the revelation of anybody in this room pastor jim it's the revelation of jesus christ according to the first few words of the text and if this is the true revelation of jesus christ then what does this text say about jesus christ These are the only things that we're going to concern ourselves with, or these are the primary things by which we're going to concern ourselves with, the filter by which we're moving forward to analyze the text. Everybody all right? And so we're going to do that um, through the whole thing. Winston Churchill once said this about the Soviet Union. He said, the Soviet Union is a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside of an enigma. It's a mystery, or a riddle wrapped in a mystery, wrapped inside of an enigma. You know what he was saying? Russia is unknowable. It's completely, there's so many layers to it, there's no way you can understand who they are, what they're doing, why they're doing it, any of those things. And I have heard pastor after pastor, layman after layman, believer and unbeliever alike, say the same thing about the book of Revelation. And it's just not true. The simpleton can, through spiritual eyes, understand Scripture. This is the truth of Scripture. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to discern the truth of the Word of God. And so I'm trying to tear some walls down. I'm trying to demystify the text for you. To let you know it's you're not... You're not so unknowing that the book of Revelation can't be known to you. And in fact, I hope that by the end of this thing, it's known to all of us. And so with that in mind, I want to talk to you about the purpose of the book, our approach to Revelation. I was going to cover the date of writing, but it's... It's really irrelevant. Just know I take a later date to destroy one of the ways in which it's usually interpreted. And the author first. And then we'll talk about the first three verses. (laughs) So, what is the purpose of the book? I want you to read or open your Bible if you're not there already. And I want you to go to chapter chapter 1, verse 5. The purpose of the book, more succinctly than any other writing within the text of Scripture, gives us a a summation of the redemptive plan of God. 1.5 says this, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to Him, Jesus, who loves us and released us from our sins, By his blood. Can I tell you if you don't hear anything else. That I say for however long we say it. Jesus Christ. Is the redeemer. Revelation. Is designed to show you that. There is a God. That loves you so much. That he sent his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him. Should not perish. But have everlasting life. Don't get caught up in your intellect. Get caught up in the love of a God that sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you, according to Romans, while you were still sinners, who shed his blood on a cross, who had a plan for your redemption before the beginning of time so that you could live for all time. I'm not oversimplifying the text. I am simply stating what the text represents. That at the end of it all, Jesus is coming back for us. And we will live with him forever in a new heaven and a new earth. The redemptive process that he started when sin first entered humankind comes to fruition and wholeness at the end of Revelation. Jesus Christ shed his blood for us. It's a love story. Plain and simply, the purpose of Revelation is a love story. I put this on Facebook some months ago, but I want you to read like the Revelation like you read any other book in the Bible, like a love letter from a boyfriend or girlfriend that you haven't seen in six months. You get this letter. I can remember being in the military, and I get a letter. Because back then they didn't have email and all that. And it would be from some girl back home. And I would I would feel it. And I'd weigh it in my hand. To see if she really cared enough to write enough. And then I'd look to see if she put hearts on the outside. And then you would open it up. It's, it's silly, but it's true. Did she spray her perfume on it? Is the scent of God on the book of Revelation. And then I read it, and it says, Dear Jim. The question is, why does it say Dear Jim and not My Loving Jim? We should analyze every text in Scripture this way. Read it. and We've all had a letter like that in our hand. And we looked at every comma. We looked at every simple sentence. Everything about it. How did they sign it? And it either brought us to a full understanding of the love they had for us or the fact that they didn't love us at all. But let me tell you, this love letter carries the scent of God. This love letter is intended for the singular purpose of letting you know that all the things that you hear about in the book of Revelation, from the locust to the fiery pit to, the, to Armageddon to every horrible Wrath and bowl that's poured out. At the end of the day, your God loves you enough to complete the redemptive plan that he started in Genesis. That's the purpose of the book. I praise God that he loves me like that. But it also teaches us some things. Warns the church of the dangers of sin and compromise in chapters 2 and 3. We live in a society where we don't quite get that the church will be held accountable at the end of days for what it has been and what it has not been to a culture it was intended to reflect Jesus Christ to. Not only that, Revelation teaches the church how to worship properly in chapters 4 and 5. You know how we're supposed to worship? We're supposed to to worship like the angels worship in heaven. Because whether we can see him physically or not, he is as actively in the room right now as he is in his own throne room. This is what the book of Revelation teaches us. This is the purpose of the book. I could go on and on and on about how it talks about all the stuff. What I want you to know is those three things. Where are we at, church? Do we understand that God loves us enough that he expects from us? And that he shows us and declares to us in his word how he desires to be worshipped. There's a book Angel and I read some years ago called The Five Love Languages. It changed our life. It didn't, but it was very helpful to our marriage. For those of you guys that have attended here any amount of time, that whole, man, if y'all tried this, it'd change your life. There's only one thing that change your life, that's Jesus. And so that, that's a pet peeve of mine. Uh, it's silly, but it's my thing. So. But it will really make your life better if you're married, this five love languages. And it talks about how we love other people around us according to the way that we like to be loved. I'm a words of affirmation guy. physical touch. And so I like Angela to tell me how awesome I am. I'll ask her 10 times on Sunday, did I teach good? Did I do good? And because I'm that and physical touch, she'll go, yes, baby, you did good. Good job, baby. But Angela doesn't care about words of affirmation or physical touch. Matter of fact, if I get in her space and say, baby, you did good, she'd be all, Ugh, you're in my space. Am I wrong? No, I'm not wrong. Of course I'm not wrong. And for the first couple years, I tried to love her like I wanted to love her. And it almost ruined us. You know why? Because we don't get to choose how someone else is loved. God gets to choose how he's worshipped we don't get to choose how we're going to worship God. And sadly, we we spend a lot of time trying to worship God on our grounds, by our standards, by our methodologies. And God doesn't want it. But I did some stuff. It's great. Did you get on your face. Did you circle around my throne long enough to see something new of me and then fall on your face and yell, holy, holy, holy? When's the last time you did that? Because that's the way I deserve and want to be loved. So anyway, I'm getting carried away. Right? I'm just, (laughs) I may not get to three verses a day. I don't know. (laughs) So, irregardless of all of these things, like I said, it's a revelation of Jesus and declares every one of his titles and proclaims and affirms his full deity as God. So how are we going to interpret this text? There's four different kinds of interpretation, and I'm just going to go through them very quickly, four ways in which people interpret the text which is why so many people have so many different opinions about the Scripture. There's the preterist approach, and you don't need to write these down. They're not necessarily that important, but it's something I want you to know where I'm coming from from this point forward. And the preterist approach says this. It doesn't view Revelation as future prophecy, but as a historical record of events fulfilled in the first century. So the people that adhere to this, Particular theory said that everything that happened in the book of Revelation happened to the church in the first century. The problem with that theory, that line of interpretation, is that it completely discounts everything beyond the letters to the church all the way to the new heavens and the new earth. It just totally dismisses the entirety of the book. Then there's the, the historical approach which views Revelation as a record of church history from apostolic times until the church age was established. There's a problem, or up until current age, I'm sorry. The problem with that is now I have to figure out, I have to use my imagination to determine what this text means in regard to history. So, they'll tell you this instance is the rise and fall of Rome. This instance is the advent of the Catholic Church. This instant is the beginning of the Reformation. Well, that's great, except for the Scripture doesn't say any of those things. And so we can't, we can't base the word on the assumptions we make on it. We have to allow one of the things my pastor taught me, Pastor Rick, is that you can't make the word say what the word doesn't say. And too many people try to wrap their imagination around the word and make it fit their particular understanding of historical events. This is the historical approach. Next is the idealist approach, which means there's Revelation is simply a, a book about the struggle, the eternal struggle, the historical struggle, between good and evil that plays out in every age. And so it's not intended to declare any specific event or truth. It just says, ideally this means that good will win over evil. That's great, except for the Word of God declares in the book of Revelation that this is prophecy, which means This is predictive of events that will happen in the future. And so we can't accept that form of interpretation. Am am I... This information y'all care about? Okay. And then finally, the futurist approach, which is the approach in which I'm going to be addressing the text. The futurist approach reviews Revelation 4 through 22, As predictive prophecy concerning people and events. The reason I like this, well, let me tell you the reason why people say you shouldn't like it first. It's because they say that the book of Revelation, if it's a futuristic prophecy, if it's predictive prophecy, meant nothing to its original hearers beyond the first three chapters. Except that it means the same to them as it means to us. Because some of that still hasn't happened yet. Most of that still hasn't happened yet. And so we need to get our understanding of history right, our understanding that God isn't bound by time, that there will be a predictive future established by revelation by which we can count on. And so the reason I like it, the reason that I'm going to approach from this position is because of what I've told you already. Because according to Pastor Rick and according to just general hermeneutical standard, which is the general methodology for examining scripture, if I use the futurist event, I could use the same methodology to examine this text that I use for every other text in scripture. I don't have to come up with a new set of rules just to understand Revelation that don't apply anywhere else in the text. Anytime we do anything other than approach it from this is what is going to happen prophetically and predictively according to the Word of God, then we've done exactly that. We've caused the Word to say something other than what the Word actually says. And I can't examine it because I can't tell you what's wrong and what's not wrong based on your opinion. You're all, this is my opinion. This is, I love this. You guys know I love this. This is my truth. Your truth needs nothing in the face of the truth. But the problem is, you grab a hold of your truth so strongly that you're not willing to listen to the truth. And so we're going to examine the text very specifically and using the same methodologies by which we examine all other texts in Scripture. And I think you're going to find, I'm going to be surprised if you don't find, how simple Revelation actually is. People say, well man, there's this, and there's the dragon, and there's all this stuff. And, and almost—and after almost every one of those things, it says, and the dragon was, and the woman was, and this was, So it tells you all the crazy stuff, but then it says, and this is what that is. And this is what that is. And this is what this represents. Don't get caught up, all I'm saying, with what you've been told. Let's examine the text together using proper methodology. Amen? Amen. And then finally, the author. And I'm just going to say it's John. It's John the Beloved. There's, there is no one of any substantial weight in history that has ever argued against John being the author. So I'm not going to spend any time there other than to say nobody's ever argued it and every church generation has accepted the truth that it's John the Beloved that wrote the book of Revelation. Amen? All right. With that in mind, let's get to the text. All right? With the... 10 minutes we got left. I'm not mad about it. Are you mad about it? We've learned some incredible things here today. Jesus loves us. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Right? Figure if we can get our head around that, we're better off than we were when we walked in here. Verses 1 through 3. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Listen to this. So good. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it. For the time is near. And my grandmama's been telling me that my whole life. And it took me till 35 years old. But let me tell you, you can't get here fast enough. You know, we just, Pastor Rick alluded to it. We just, we just had our first grandbaby. And we're excited about that. I haven't got to hold him yet. But if Jesus came back before I got to, I wouldn't be mad about that. Because I am so eagerly anticipating that whatever world God has to offer that young man is better than any world that we have to offer him. Amen. You like that, Brother Dallas? Guy's good, isn't he? So let's talk about these three texts. Amen. I want to talk about the purpose. The purpose is to declare Christ. And just to break these down, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which means it is intended to make Christ visible. Much like Simeon said in Luke 2.32, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. This thing, this book, this text represents Jesus. There's 400 and I have it written here four verses in the book of Revelation. And 278 of them allude to, in one way or another, Old Testament prophecies. And all of them prove one truth. Jesus Christ is exactly who the prophets said He would be. He did exactly what He said He would do. And he is in the exact position right now that they said he would be in. That this declares Jesus. And it declares him in a way that we don't see him in any other part of Scripture. In the Gospels, as much as I I love to read the Gospels, it shows a different Jesus than the book of Revelation. It shows a, a, a christ who came in humiliation. Who came to be oppressed. Who stepped out of heaven. Who we didn't see the full glory of because he was covered in humanity. Except for the Mount of Transfiguration. Only a few people got to see that. But the Jesus declared in Revelation is different. Unbound by human restraint magnificent as he's been for all of eternity in his majesty in his glory in his power in his full authority and strength this is the jesus that is the lion the tribe of the tribe of judah this is the conquering king this is the alpha and the omega we see him differently revealed differently expressed differently than anywhere else in the text Revelation shows us who Jesus is now and who he will be for all of eternity. And I'm excited about that. Just some samplings. The book of Revelation, and I'm not going to give you the text for this probably just because there's so many of them, declares him partially. I mean, there's so many declarations of him. is the Alpha, the Omega, the Almighty. Listen to the words coming out of my mouth. We use words too flippantly. When the Bible says God is almighty, that means He is almighty. Every strength is less than His strength. Every power is less than His power. All the power in the sun and the universe and all the stars and all of the oceans and all the lightning and everything that exists is less than the power that Jesus Christ carries. He carries that authority and He will carry that authority when He comes back to get us. He is Almighty. He is the Living One. He is the Son of God. The One who is holy, who is true. He cannot be denied. He will not be denied. He has never spoken a lie out of His mouth and the promises that He declares over you are as true right now as they've ever been or will be in the future. Whew. I said I to get my teaching table out, not my preaching table, but that's all right. He's the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the Lamb of God, King of kings and Lord of lords, which means there is no authority above him. He is all-sufficient and again all-powerful and almighty. We should be getting excited about this church. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. This is the God that came to die for us. He is the bright and morning star. He is the revelation as Stephen saw it in the book of Acts 7.56. Behold, I see the heavens opening up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And He is coming for us. And He loves us. And I want you to take us out of that sentence. And I want you to say, me. He loves me. Mm. And who is he giving this revelation to? Us. The Bible says the bond servants, out of all, all the people, all the things, all the stuff, he determined to reveal himself to us. The bondservant, not the slave, but the slave that loved his master so much he willingly submitted to him. Those who willingly submit to all the things that Jesus is, we have the promise of one truth. And that is that he has revealed himself and will continue to reveal himself to us. Exodus 21 proves this fact in 5.6. It says, but if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out as a free man. I have the right to go out here and do whatever I want to do. But you know what? My master's good to me. My master loves me. He's always taking care of me. Then the master shall bring him to to God, and he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, Which means he will mark him as his own. And he shall serve him permanently. Who does he give his revelation to? Us. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says this. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them. Because they are spiritually appraised. This is how this works. You want a revelation of God? You want a revelation of Jesus Christ? you got to trust him enough. Set yourself in the door. Let him mark you as his. Declare your love for him. Serve him forever. And then those things that seem like such a mystery to you won't be a mystery to you very long. Whew. Divine truth, at the end of the day, has always been hidden from the worldly. And it is left set aside for us. Amen.